Order. Questions to the Prime Minister, Jim Sheridan. Question number one, please, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending out profound condolences to the families and friends of Trooper James Monday of the Household Cavalry Regiment killed last week in Helmand Province, Afghanistan. We owe him and all those who have lost their lives in conflict a huge debt of gratitude. I'm also sure that the whole House will wish to join me in sending condolences to the family and friends of Gail Williams, who was killed by the Taliban on Monday in Afghanistan. She worked for the organisation and the charity Serve Afghanistan, which offers education and training to people with disabilities. This was a barbaric act by the Taliban against someone devoted to improving the lives of ordinary Afghans. I believe her family and the whole House should be extremely proud of the work that she did. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I, I shall have further such meetings later today. Jim Sheridan. Mr Speaker, despite the best efforts of the Government um, during this economic financial situation, there are still many of our constituents who are extremely worried about losing their jobs and the consequential impact that could have on paying their bills or mortgage and effectively losing their homes. Could my right honourable friend and indeed the Chancellor assure the House that every option will be explored to make sure that any support that we can give these people will be given? Mr Speaker, I, I can announce today uh, new, guidance, new, new guidance for the judiciary to halt or adjourn court action on repossessions unless alternative options that help the homeowner, including extending the terms of the mortgage, changing the mortgage type and deferring payment, have been fully examined first of all. We are determined to do everything we can to help homeowners avoid repossessions. Mr Speaker, uh, the Governor of the Bank of England said last night that not since the First World War has the international banking system been so close to collapse, and I agree with him. Having taken action on the banking system, we must now take action on the global financial recession, which is likely to cause recession in America, France, Italy, Germany, Japan, and because no country can insulate itself from it, Britain too. And that is why, and that is why we are giving our undivided attention to helping families and businesses. And Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I expect, I expect later this afternoon an announcement of an early summit of global leaders, which I shall attend on behalf of Britain. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Trooper James Monday, who was killed in Afghanistan last week, and to aid worker Gail Williams, who lost her life this week. I think the Prime Minister was right to pay such a fulsome tribute. Their deaths are a reminder of the sacrifices that our armed forces and humanitarian aid workers make, are making on, not only on our behalf, but also on the behalf of people in Afghanistan, and we pay tribute to their memory. In the first six months of the year, the government borrowed over £37 billion. In the first, at, the, at, the, at the end of a long boom, at the end of a long boom, and just as the downturn is beginning, Britain has one of the biggest budget deficits in the industrialised world. Does the Prime Minister think that is a mistake? Mr. Mr. Speaker, he just said on the radio a few days ago, borrowing goes up, that's inevitable, and you have to allow that to happen. <laughs> unfortunately, un unfortunately, unfortunately, he'd said a few weeks ago, we have reached the limits of acceptable borrowing. He must make up his mind which side he is on on this. The reasons, 
the reason, Mr. Speaker, if I may explain to him, the reason, Mr. Speaker, we can afford to borrow is that we have low national debt. We have lower debt than America, than France, than Germany, than Japan and Italy. And I have to put it to him that it is the right thing to do facing global financial problems for the government to increase economic activity in the economy by borrowing to do so. Now, which side is he on? Is he on the side of what he said two weeks ago or the side of what he said a week ago? Of course... Of course borrowing goes up in a downturn. His problem is he racked it up to record levels before the downturn began. How can, how can he possibly think it's right to go into recession with such a high level of debt? Why can't he just admit for once he got it wrong? And he keeps quoting the national debt figures. Let's look at what that doesn't include. Billions of pounds on PFI, network rail, pension liabilities. That's even before we get to Northern Rock, even before we get to Bradford and Bingley. He couldn't lecture the banks on borrowing because he was borrowing so much, and he cannot lecture them on transparency because he's hiding so much. Mr. Teague, Mr. Teague, behave yourself. <laughs> they don't like being told that they're being governed by a master of dodgy accounting. Opposition speak. Well, without interruption. Without interruption. Half of the half of the OECD went into the downturn with budget surpluses that they can use to cut taxes for families. Does he really have no regret at all that borrowing is so high just as the recession's beginning? Mr. Mr. Speaker, we cut the level of debt in national income. We cut it from the level that we inherited from the Conservative Party. And is he really now saying that to finance network rail, we should close hospitals, we should close schools, we should close down the rest of the transport system? Because that is the implication of what he says. I just repeat to the House that net debt in the UK on the IMF figures published a few weeks ago, 38%. France 55%, Germany 56%, Italy 101%, Japan 94%, and the USA higher at 46%. We have the ability to borrow to take ourselves through these difficult times. And may I just remind uh, the the, uh, Leader of the Opposition of what he said only a few days ago. People will want to see cross-party support rather than perhaps what we've seen in the United States of America because we have to try and take public opinion with us for difficult decisions that may have to be taken. One thing one week, another thing the next week. The Prime Minister knows perfectly well he has cross-party support for the banking rescue, but he does not have cross-party support for the record debt that he's racked up in this country. 
He's fond of quotations. Perhaps you'll try this one from the Institute of Fiscal Studies that says about the Prime Minister, he did not leave his successor as Chancellor with the fiscal room to cope with even a modest economic slowdown, let alone the problems we currently face. For years, for years the Prime Minister was telling us about the beauties of prudence with a purpose. Now he's telling us about the joys of borrowing without limit. Doesn't that show how just ridiculous he now sounds? Now, let's have... Let's have, um, let's have a look at another one of his claims, and particularly relevant on this day when the Governor of the Bank of England says we're going into recession. Will he finally admit that he has not abolished boom and bust? Mr. Mr. Speaker, I've already answered the question that I agree with the Governor of the Bank of England. And as far as the issues that he raises about debt, is he really saying... Is he really saying that we should not have stepped in to save Northern Rock? Is he really saying that we should have not used public money to save the Halifax Bank of Scotland? Is he really saying that we shouldn't have used the public money we've done uh, so that we could save the Royal Bank of Scotland? I believe that he needs to look again at what is happening in the global economy and its effect on every country around the world. And if he were to look at what the cause of the problem was, he might be able to have a better idea of what the solution is. And let me, ju- let, let, me just, let me just remind me again of what he said. I always think leaders of the opposition have to be careful not to talk down the economy. He said, you know, you know, you know there are... I, I, just, I just repeat, you know there are so, some strong fundamentals in the British economy and we should celebrate those and point them out. That's what he said, but that was a few weeks ago before what he's saying today. He asked me to recognise the causes of the problems we're now in. Well, I can tell him, we're looking at them. Why? Just, Just for once in his life, why can he not answer a direct question? He has said dozens, dozens and dozens of times that he had ended boom and bust, that he had rewritten the laws of the trade cycle. Now, with unemployment rising, with growth stalling, with repossessions up, with business clothing, closing, and with the Governor of the Bank of England saying we now face recession, will he now finally admit he did not abolish boom and bust? Yeah. Mr Speaker... I've already answered about the Bank of England Governor and what he said. Let, let, let me... I, I, think, I, think this is a very, I think this is a very important issue for the country, that they must understand, which the opposition appear not to do, what is the cause of the problems that we're dealing with. You see, you see the, opposition, the opposition like to think this is a problem created in Britain and in the public sector. Everybody knows, apart from the opposition, that this is a global problem that arose in the private sector that was the result of irresponsible and undisclosed private sector lending and has got to be dealt with by recapitalising the banks and by ensuring that banks start funding small business and homeowners. And if they're really interested, as they say, in homeowners and small businesses, then they should be supporting us as we try to get bank lending moving again. And they should be supporting us as we try to build confidence in the financial system so that it can do the job it was supposed to do, and that is give flows of money to households and to businesses. Now, if the opposition cannot begin to understand the problem, they're going to be a million miles away from the solution. Anyone listening to this exchange will know that he claimed the credit in the boom, so why won't he take the responsibility in the bus? 
ask him one more time. It's a simple yes or no. Have you abolished boom and bust? Yes or no? Mr Speaker, we are not returning to the days of 15% interest rates. And let me say, let, let, let me say, let me say that people, people are going to be tested over these next few days on the judgments that they actually make. The judgments of the Leader of the Opposition and the Shadow Chancellor as well. But unfortunately, unfortunately, on Northern Rock, they took the wrong judgment. On deregulating the mortgage market, they took the wrong judgment. On short selling of shares, they took the wrong judgment. The Shadow Chancellor proposed a fuel duty escalator, a fuel duty balancing mechanism that would actually lead to us having to increase today the duty on petrol by three pence. That is the judgment of the Shadow Chancellor. Mr Speaker, with or without the support of the Opposition, we will continue to do what is right for this country. Doesn't the Prime Minister understand this? To the millions of people who have seen the values of their home fall, homes fall, to the millions of people who now see their pensions decline, to the thousands of people losing their jobs, to the small businesses who are writing to all of us complaining about 15% interest rates, to all of these people, this is a bust. And let me ask him just one more time. Why not admit, just for once in your life, you have not ended boom and bust? Isn't it interesting? Not one single policy idea, not, not one attempt to come together as all parties in the interests of the nation, not one attempt to put forward any constructive solution to the problems. And I fear, Mr. Speaker, the reason they can't put forward constructive solutions is they don't have a clue about what the real economy problems are. British Gas told one of my constituents that his gas bill will be going up by over 118%, despite his account being in credit. Can my right honourable friend commit himself to dealing with these outrageous price increases, especially at a time when the price of oil is down at under $70 a barrel? She's, she's absolutely right that now that the price of oil is coming down and the price of gas is coming down, we expect that to be reflected not just in petrol prices coming down, but we want to see it reflected over time in the way gas and electricity bills go to consumers. In the meantime, we have taken action to make sure that the social tariff is available at a lower rate to low-income families. And of course, we have the winter allowance, which is at £250 for over 60s and £400 this year for over 80s. But she is absolutely right. We will monitor the fall in oil and gas prices so that people facing gas and electricity bills can get the real benefit. Nick Clegg. Yeah. Let, let me add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of trooper James Mundy and aid worker Gail Williams, who in their very different ways were serving this country and serving the people of Afghanistan. Um, Mr Speaker, the public have seen that the Prime Minister only delivered his multi-billion pound bailout package for the bankers once the banks were on the edge of collapse. So what they're asking themselves now is how bad does it need to get before he delivers a bailout package for them? Yesterday we heard the energy companies saying they're only going to hand down price cuts uh, at next year at the earliest. Yet this winter, four out of five single pensioners will be living in pensioner poverty. And the measures he just outlined to the earlier question will be too late for them. What will he do now for them this winter? Yeah. 
Mr. Speaker, first of all, let me correct him. We have been putting liquidity into the banking system for months. We have put $100 billion and more into the banking system to make sure that our banks can continue to be in existence. The recapitalization of the banks was to strengthen the banks so that they could face all sorts of difficulties ahead and at the same time restart lending. So I have to correct him on that. He is wrong on that issue. As far as helping pensioners this, this winter, he, he knows, of course, that the pension is more than £30 a week. <laughs> but let, 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 let. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me point, let me point out to him that we are helping pensioners this winter by the rise in the winter allowance that will come to people very soon, by the help we are giving with the social tariff that also helps many pensioners, by encouraging pensioners to use uh, the direct, direct debit system to keep their bills low, and by all the measures we are taking on insulation and central heating to give pensioners the best chance of saving uh, energy or saving costs from the use of energy they are having. Now, we are trying to do all these things. I hope we will have all party support for it. I asked him about fuel poverty, and he gave me a wholly different answer. His, the answer shows, Mr. Speaker, the answer shows he's, this, this Prime Minister is he, he's all at sea. He's all at sea. Let me make a specific suggestion about something that he could do now. At the moment, all of us pay more for the energy we use first, for our early energy units, and less for the rest. This hits families on low and middle incomes who use less energy very, very hard indeed. Will he commit today to reversing this unfair system, turning it on its head, so that those who use less energy pay lower prices? It makes environmental sense, it makes common sense, and it's something he could do now to help people this winter. Will he do that, yes or no? I am happy to look at any constructive suggestion that's been put about how, how we can help people through these difficult uh, winter months. And we've also raised the, the payment that would be paid to people in case uh, this, there was severe weather during these months. But I think his, his protestations about what ought to be done would be better heard if he hadn't committed his party at his conference to 20 billion of cuts in public expenditure. Fabian Hamilton. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I return to the issue of high energy prices? Uh, now that the price of oil has halved, can my right honourable friend offer any comfort to my Leeds North East constituents? who are faced with hugely inflated energy costs, as my uh, colleague just said. And uh, we're told that these prices are linked to the price of oil. But will he take further measures to help pensioners and fuel-poor families who are faced with these massive increases when the energy companies were so quick to raise their prices but rather slower to bring them down again? He is absolutely right that as the price of oil comes down and the price of gas then gas and electricity bills uh, should benefit from being lower as a result of that. We have taken uh, action in September with £1 billion in an energy package. Lower, lower uh, income households, 600,000 uh, people are benefiting from lower social t t tariffs and almost half a million of the most needy households. Prices will rise not at all this winter, but we will continue to look at what can be done. What we will not do, whether it is for petrol or for gas and electricity bills, is take the advice of the opposition on this matter because the fuel duty stabiliser would mean that we would be having to increase the taxes on petrol now by three pence a litre. John Whittingdale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Prime Minister consider the plight of my constituent, who is 70 years old, who invested in commercial offices to, to help provide for his retirement, but has been unable to let or sell them, with the result that he is now having to pay business rates of £500 a month out of his total pension of £700 a month. Given the property stump, slump, will the Government now consider reinstating empty property relief, particularly for people on low incomes like my constituents? We'll look at everything we can do to help, but I should point out that there is no rates uh, paid for the first three months uh, where, it's, uh, where, it's, where it's office property and the first six months where it's industrial property. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Men and women alike are concerned about the economy, the future and the welfare of their families. <laughs> will, my, my, will my right honourable friend, whatever the situation, actually today promise that women of this country that he will not stoop so low as to hire a public relations firm to get inside our pretty little heads. <laughs> so, Speaker, uh, while, while the opposition are interested in public relations, we are interested in getting the policy right and we would like to have all party support. Um, if, the, if the Prime Minister really plans to build and spend his way out of the uh, looming recession, uh, will he assure the House that those who have sacrificed most, uh, working families who struggle, pay their taxes, some of which are used to, to, to bail out those who have accrued most but often avoid paying theirs, will he ensure that they, like thousands of, of families in my own area who have no housing or, or have very poor housing, will he ensure that they, in fact, receive some reward and support as the Prime Minister builds and spends. Well, well tw 22 million people are receiving a tax uh, cut of £120, which has been paid to them during the course of the next few months. And I know also uh, what he says about homeowners uh, and housing. We're going to deliver 50,000 homes a year for social rent and will increase housing supply in the social sector. Sally Keeble. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I very much welcome the Government's commitment to... Um, continue investing in public services during these difficult times, as shown by the announcement today of the 100th new NHS hospital. Yeah. Um, can, I, can I ask that Northampton might be 101st on that list yeah. with a commitment to a much-needed new District General Hospital? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I'm grateful uh, to have the chance to welcome the fact that the Government are announcing today the opening of St Helens Hospital which is the 100th hospital under our 10-year hospital building scheme. We launched the hospital building programme to replace and modernise the NHS. In 1997, half of it dated from before 1948 and was not fit for purpose in a modern NHS. This is the biggest hospital building programme in history, and we are determined, even if there is opposition from the party opposite, to continue to build hospitals and to build schools. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, may I ask the Prime Minister if he will assist ex-servicemen currently in prison? There are, according to NAPO, 8,500 ex-servicemen currently in prison, which represents about 10% of the entire population. May I urge him, please, to speak with his ministerial colleagues in the Ministry of Justice and the Ministry of Defence so that they liaise together to determine the extent of the problem and so that proper mechanisms are put in place 
to deal with re- returnees from conflict zones before they commit offences. Yeah. 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 Mr Speaker, I, I do understand what he says, and uh, we are looking at this uh, matter. The NEO report that was commissioned last year showed that the majority who leave the services make a successful return to civilian life, and 94% find work in six months, but a small minority can face severe difficulties. The Ministry of Defence provides a wide range of support. Our package of specialist mental health care is one example. The MOD's Prison in Reach initiative gives veterans in prison access to a range of support services, but we are working together, the Secretary for Defence and the Minister for Justice, on this very issue to get an up-to-date and authoritative uh, uh, data uh, and a survey and then to see what we can do to help the very people that it is our duty, having helped our country and served our country, to assist when they are in civilian times. MPs of all parties are calling for a fair and unbiased question in the referendum on the congestion charge in Greater Manchester. Uh, What we're getting is a partial and biased question which doesn't even mention uh, the congestion charge. Wouldn't it be better, Prime Minister, given the current economic circumstances, if this unnecessary congestion charge was cancelled, the divisive referendum was cancelled, and we brought forward uh, the investment in the tram system in uh, Greater Manchester to an earlier date? Mr Speaker, I know there are strong views uh, about this issue, but let me just say that the question that is in the referendum had to be approved legally, and that was what actually happened. Alan Green. The Festus factory just outside Campbellton that produces towers for wind farms is threatened with closure with the loss of over 90 jobs. Now, given that the, the government's renewable targets for 2020 mean a tenfold increase in renewable energy generation and also the absolutely devastating effect that the loss of all these jobs would have in a small community like Campbellton, will the Prime Minister intervene here and do all that he can to save the jobs at the Campbellton factory? I'm aware of this uh, case where the factory uh, announced it would be ceasing uh, production in Macrahanish near Campbelltown. It was Scotland's only wind uh, uh, turbine power factory. It is investing in another plant in the Isle of Wight, but it's due to the factory losing money. I understand that the Scottish Administration, the Highlands and Islands Enterprise, have met the company and met those who are trying to find other potential occupants of the site, Uh, and I I will endeavour to find out what I can do to help in this instance. Karen Buck. Mr Speaker, whilst crime has fallen overall, the whole House knows that too many children and young people have fallen victims in recent years to gun and knife crime. Does my right honourable friend know that evidence indicates that some young people are choosing to carry weapons precisely because the high profile of youth crime leads them to believe that everyone else is carrying weapons and they must carry them for protection? What concrete steps can the government take to break this spiral of fear in our schools and on our streets? She's taken a very big interest in how we can get knife crime off the streets of London and off these major hotspots where knife crime is concentrated. We have done more stops and searches over the, over the summer months. Since July, there have been 77,000 searches. 2,192 knives have been seized in these areas. Only 2 to 3 per cent of young people stopped had a weapon, but it is important that we change the culture so it is wholly unacceptable to carry a knife. We put uh, in strong uh, uh, cautions. We have uh, said that uh, prosecution will result from carrying a knife. 
We're taking more action on prevention, more education in schools, safer schools, warns, searches that are done on young people. We've involved the England football team and other people that can influence young people as role models in this. And I believe what we're talking about here is not just enforcement and punishment and prevention. We're talking about changing the whole culture where it becomes as unacceptable to carry a knife as carry a gun, as unacceptable to carry a knife as bullying in hours in schools or racism is in sport. And I believe that the culture change that so many people who have been affected by knife crime are trying to bring about is what we should all, on an all-party basis, support. For over a decade, the government has given warm words uh, to the people of the South West uh, for their high water charges, which are the highest in the country. Ofwat has just published a prediction up to 2016 of further water and sewerage rises that are not only above the uh, inflation rate but above the average for all water companies. When are the people of the South West going to get action rather than sympathetic words? Mr Speaker, I have met uh, Members of Parliament uh, from the, the, the area to talk about uh, these issues and see what could be done. But I, ha- I have to say to them that after 10 years of uh, Labour government, the South West has enjoyed higher employment, higher standards of living and better public services as a result of a Labour government. Dennis Skinner. Will the uh, Prime Minister give us a rock-solid assurance whatever he does in order to clear the debts of the nation's finances, he will never, ever meet a Russian billionaire to try and catch the money. We'll leave that to the Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, this is um, this is a very serious matter indeed, and I hope it's investigated by the authorities. Mr. Speaker, ten years ago, this government issued a presumption against closure of rural schools. Since then, funding has been diverted away from rural areas to urban areas. What action is the Prime Minister going to take? to ensure fair funding for rural areas like Shropshire to make sure that schools such as Lidbury North in my constituency can stay open. Mr Speaker, I am in favour of more funding for schools around the country and I am in favour of more funding for schools in rural as in urban areas. But I'm afraid he must make a prior decision. Does he support extra investment in schools and education as we do or does he oppose the extra investment as his own party has done? Of the statement in Pearson.